Chris Pace, and David Hawkins. All right, well, welcome to the inaugural episode of The Dive Bar. Uh, I am your host, Dave. And I'm your co-host, Chris Pace. Yeah, so what is The Dive Bar? Um, this is, uh, Chris and I have known each other for a really long fucking time, and we, anytime we get together, we always just talk about shit that we love, and this podcast was kind of born out of just our conversations. We, uh, thought of, you know, let's deep dive into certain subjects that we love, and, um, let's talk about their cultural significance. Uh, we like to think that we're pretty intellectual folks, and we're pretty well-spoken. Um, I guess you guys will be the judge on that, uh. But, uh, yeah, so we came up with The Dive Bar. Right. What do you think of the name? Yeah. Is well, it whimsical enough? It's, it's we, you know, you know there, there's one thing I can always count on you for. It's uh, whimsy, Dave. But I'm uh, full of whimsy. Yeah, no, very, very true. And, that, and that's probably why we've ended up in dive bars before, because you're, uh, <laughs> quote, whimsical. No, uh, I think we ended up in dive bars before because I was trying to save you from yourself. Oh, there's, mostly. There's, yeah, that's probably true. So there's there's probably a million little pieces documentary being done somewhere about yeah. those times. Yeah. But, uh no, I, listen, I think the, the dive bar concept fits perfectly to what you and I do all the time, and that is we just rehash a lot of uh, old memories, old feelings, but put it in a new context and kind of talk about how it's shaped us and, uh, and move, you know, and then some of the things. I mean, when you think about it, you go to a dive bar, and that's where you're going to hear some cool, obscure song on the radio. You're going to see some cool liquor you haven't seen in forever. So And you have some old fuckers at the end of the bar that are talking about <laughs> war stories and yeah. women they hooked up with and their favorite movies and all that kind of stuff, so... I think the dive bar really kind of works with the the concept that we're uh, that we're shooting for. Absolutely, man! Yeah. I'm excited excited to do this with you. I'm too. So this is going to be for the at least to start out once a month kind of thing. Uh, one, we're just way too fucking busy, especially Chris is jet setting all over the fucking <laughs> world. I guess just the states. Just we'll, the states we'll say right the, we'll say the world. Uh, I like the world. Yeah, it yeah. Sound way more. Important. Yeah, you're you're very important. Exactly. I was in Beijing yesterday. Really? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. How's the atmosphere in there in Beijing? Uh, oh man, I was the tallest guy there. I love that. <laughs> you're a dwarf amongst midgets. Yeah, exactly. All Thank right. Um, so yeah. So uh, what we're gonna do once a month? We're gonna just pick a subject that we love. Um, sometimes there'll be movies. Sometimes music. Sometimes books. Uh, we'll even go to I love space. Um, so we'll talk about black holes one month. So and then we just do a deep dive. We do a little research. We and we talk about um, the cultural significance of what we think about, and we're gonna vomit it out onto our podcast. And that's the dive bar. I love it. Yeah, love it. that's good stuff. All right. So uh, our first episode is uh, we're gonna deep dive onto a movie that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, what about you? Oh, man, it shaped the way I thought and approached uh, life and adventure in my life. Yeah, so uh, we're both in agreement that The Goonies is one of the, the movies that really shaped who we are today. Um, and that's not hyperbole by any means. I literally, uh, I think about The Goonies all the time. And it really has shaped um, my childhood. And now that I'm an author, um, it really shapes how I construct a story. Uh, my Race Through Space series, available now on Amazon, is uh, it's based off of the Goonies. It's I want an adventure story, and there's not a lot of adventure stories out there today. Mostly it's comic book movies or um, rehashed IP from mm -hmm. the last 10, 20 years. There's not a lot of original adventure stories. And so I took a lot of inspiration from the Goonies to write Race Through Space. And, uh, I mean, everything from... 
the the treasure map and searching and having friends come together and friends that believe in each other and trust mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all from the Goonies. Yeah. Um, so tell tell me what uh, the Goonies means to you. Oh man, well you know first of all it came out when I was six, but uh, I'm an only child, so I make it, I made it a career of watching every movie at the Video Mart down on Tennessee Boulevard in Redlands, California. And uh, you know when when I saw the Goonies, it was just it, much like you said, it was it was the first sense of adventure. It was it was you know treasure seeking, whatever that treasure may be. But most importantly for me, it represented a bond between you and your closest friends, and the adventures that you would get into, and the support that you would always have. So like you, I've carried it throughout my life because. I mean, truly, I want I, I to quote the movie almost daily, uh, probably daily. Yeah, I mean, probably there's daily. so many different you know, one-liners in there that, that have so much incredible context in whatever situation you're in. Because it, one, one thing, and I love that you brought this up, you know, the, there's not a lot of pure adventure stories out there. In, in prep for this episode, I went back and I was looking through the whole cachet of movies, like, you know, old school movies. Like, what did I see with, like, groups or, you know, entourage and stuff like that? There, what, there was, like, Wild Bunch and, you know, there's always the Cowboys and Westerns and, and, you know, and, like, swashbuckling stuff. But nothing that was just pure, unadulterated, pun intended, childhood adventure. And that's what the Goonies really summed up for me. It was just pure adventure. Absolutely. And, um... When I'm looking at uh, the movies from that era, there was a lot of great adventure movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Flight of the Navigator oh, comes yeah. to mind. Um, Space Camp. Yeah. Um, the Explorers. Oh, big time. I mean, like, um, even Neverending Story, which is um, kind of a, a fantasy movie, but still an adventure mm-hmm. movie. Um, we don't, I don't see a lot of that stuff. No. It's all Avengers. And yeah. I love the fucking Avengers, but it's all comic book <laughs> movies. Yeah. I can I cannot think off the top of my head an adventure movie that anything like the Goonies in the last 20 years. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I there there's a few there's one called The Kings of Summer that came out in 2016 and it's about boys that basically run away and they have the same camaraderie, but it's always steeped in like this this I want to call it like indie drama. It's like indie feature films have really been, you know, soaked in I think it started with like In the Bedroom and Monsters Ball. But it's like it has to be high drama because that draws it in when you don't have a big budget. So you've got to get like really eight levels deep into the psyche. So the point is Kings of Summer, phenomenal movie. Definitely check it out for, for you listeners out there. But but at the end of the day, it's pure adventure, but it's still steeped in like reality. And, and it wasn't just, again, unadulterated fun. And I'm going to I'm going to repeat that pun because that's ultimately what it was. It was kids like parents or parents and adults. And we're not allowed, you know, no Troys, no Troys, no Troys. Uh, for me, the the closest I came up with was Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, but that leans so heavily towards horror and sci-fi mm-hmm. that I'm not sure I can qualify it as an adventure story. Sure. What do you think? Well, uh, so so I actually I'll, I'll be a little more more generous and I'll say I, I even if we let's go down the the, the adventure story path right but, and give them credit. What year did it take place? In the nineteen eighties, right back to the Goonies, man. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's like it's you know, it's kind of like Goonies meets Alien. In fact, I think there that was go. the tagline they used <laughs> to produce the movie. I'm yeah. available for hire. Any any of you producers out there? Uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, this is our first episode. So if uh, you like what you hear, you know, please uh, shoot us an email to the Dive Bar Podcast at gmail.com. Attention, Chris, because uh, we need some sponsors here. Yeah, absolutely.
Bring it on. All right. We'll drink your stink. Uh, we'll drink your... We'll, 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 I'm not drinking any stink. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll drink your drink. We'll smoke your choke. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I'm not drinking any stink. I'm yeah, sorry. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So if you haven't uh, been alive and you've never seen the Goonies... Uh, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you, first of all, but... Where have you been? Yeah, have you been living in a rock? Even my kid, who's 12 years old, that was one of the first movies that, when he was like 8 years old, I had him watch The Goonies, yeah. and we share that bond together. My wife does not like The Goonies. Oh, no. I, I know. Because I know you had to give her the third degree. No, I, yeah, I give her shit about that all the time, and she says that um, when she was younger, like she only kind of half-assed watched it. She didn't okay. like sit down and watch the whole thing. But something about it just kind of rubbed her the wrong way. And she never really liked the Goonies. And um, we're still married. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that hasn't uh, broken us apart. But it was definitely, uh, we had to have some serious conversations oh. about her not liking the Goonies. <laughs> That's a Ben don't break marriage moment. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. We we have weathered that storm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you shown your kids Goonies? Oh, yeah. The kids watch Goonies. Uh, my, my, my oldest, too. My five-year-old is not. Um, but you know, but now I got a 15 year old and a 13 year old and they both watch it about a handful of years together, you know, ago. Yeah. So my, I have a sister-in-law who's outrageously, you know, infatuated with, with old school movies and she has been in love with the Goonies since she was probably 10. Uh, and I've known her since she was 10. So, um, she actually, she often goes to Astoria and visits and pays, you know, homage to, um, to Astoria and, and all the different sites and goes out on the rock. So. Oh, cool. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, I'd definitely love to go visit uh, Astoria, Oregon, where Goonies is set. All right, so for those two people in the world that haven't watched The Goonies, uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. Uh, the Goonies follows a group of friends on their last day together before their houses get foreclosed on. And their only chance to stop the banks from taking their homes is for the Goonies to come up with enough money to pay off their mortgages. Uh, one of the kids, Mikey, um, played by Sean Astin, uh, he finds a treasure map in his attic that leads to a treasure uh, left by the infamous pirate One-Eyed Willie. Uh, he convinces the rest of his gang to find the treasure, and along the way, they run into a murderous family that's on the run. Um, they follow. A, they run into a bunch of booty traps. Booby traps. That's what I said. Booby traps. All oh, right. And honestly, if you haven't seen this movie, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. Um, so uh, I enjoyed doing a little bit of research on that. Uh, I got to you know, kind of get a little bit of a, a glimpse behind the scenes. Um, I, I didn't realize that uh, Steven Spielberg, this is a movie that Steven Spielberg came up with like when he was young, like pre-Jaws, Steven Spielberg came up with the idea of this movie. Um, he didn't write it. Uh, he actually hired Christopher Columbus. Um, what do you know Christopher Columbus from? Uh, most famously, Home Alone. Home Alone. He's the director of Home Alone. Uh, he wrote Goonies, and then directed by Richard Donner, and Richard Donner of? Die Hard. Die Hard. So, I mean, it was a powerful three-headed uh, monster making this movie, so if it failed, I don't, I couldn't imagine how this movie could possibly fail, but uh, they did, they fucking knocked it out of the park, yeah. obviously. Um, and then, listen, so this is 1980s, early 1980s. 85. When did it come? 85. Yeah. And so they started production in 1984. Um, they had a pretty modest budget of about $19 million, and mostly because they hired unknown kid actors. So, hey, Chris, why don't you tell us 
who are these kid actors? Oh, and let's see if we we know who these people might be. Right. Well, you mentioned one of them. That's Sean Astin. Sean Astin, uh, Samwise Gamgee, right. also Bob from Stranger Things. There you go. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Funny connection but, there. And right. Rudy. And yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, fucking right. Sean Astin is the yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, Josh Brolin. Fucking Thanos himself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so Josh Brolin, he's been great in so many things. Um, no Country for Old Men. Yep. You ever seen oh, that? Big time. Yeah. I mean, he's. Fucking, he's a phenomenal Yeah, he really actor. is. You know, it's funny. He took a big gap in his career for like 20 years. Like, he, yeah. like, he wasn't really in mainstream. And then, to my knowledge, where I really noticed him again was No Country for Old Men. Yeah, and then, he, you know, and, and, and through the roof since then. You know, I think he played uh, George W. and uh, did a phenomenal job with that. You know, no one can choke on a chip better than than Josh Brolin. Uh, <laughs> that movie is actually pretty good, W. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, you know, it's funny. I have a theory. He has a long-standing... Um, feud with or a meet up with uh, coffee tables. So it's George W. Coffee Table, but where did he also make his mat or you know make his first impression with coffee table? Goonies. Goonies. Right there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Corey Feldman. Is Corey Feldman. One. So I love fucking Corey Feldman. He's from the Lost Boys. That's uh, he was at a huge string of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, was it License to Drive to with drive. Corey Haim? Yep. Him and Corey Haim were. Best buddies for a real long time. Yep. Um, yeah, I love him in The Lost Boys. Yeah, Lucas. Lucas. Lucas that's oh, one a lot of people haven't seen. Was it, was it Lucas, uh, Corey Haim? Yeah, it was. It no, was both of them? It was Corey Haim. Yes, they're, they're always interchanging. Yeah, they're, they're always, always exactly. fucking together. But also, who you know who else was in Lucas? Carrie Green, who was also in The uh, Goonies. Man, it's just like. Right? And Charlie yeah. Sheen. It just yeah. all comes back exactly, around. Man. Um, Corey Feldman, one of his, the, my favorite parts of his was Eddie LaChance in uh, Stand By Me. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a movie I think we should definitely do. That's well, a great fucking movie. Yeah, no. It, that's another and Lost one. Boys, too. But, you know, it's funny. Again, maybe this is the differentiation. There's a Goonies camp and maybe a Stand By Me camp. Because Stand By Me still had that, like, emotional thread where you walked away and you were a little bit pinched in your soul. Yeah. But, like, there wasn't, again, just that unbelievably, uh, I, I won't say it this time, but I'll say pure adventure story with the yeah. Goonies. Yeah, I think um, Stand By Me was, like, the sad Goonies. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, sad funny. Goonies. I like that. Oh, it's like uh, Goonies before I got on Prozac. <laughs> there you go. Nice. All right. And um, then uh, Martha Plimpton, who, um, she's a, a stand-up comedian now, you stand-up, said? Stand-up comedian, yeah. Does a lot of Broadway shows. Um, super, super funny. Very feminist, uh, which you could see from her, you know, her, her original roots. So, in fact, uh, what was, she was Step. Step. I don't think I ever knew her name in the... Because you never hear her say that. No. You know? And she ends up making out with Corey Feldman at the end. So yeah, exactly. That's kind of weird. Yeah. You know, he's, only, he's like 12 years old and she's like 16. But they both have, it was like two groupers having sex because they both <laughs> have huge mouths. <laughs> that's, no, I'll never get that vision out of my head. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, I, that's what I'm here for, man. Yeah, so um, it took him five months to produce this movie. And uh, like I said, on a $19 million budget. And then the movie came out and it fucking erupted. Yeah, it what, made $197 million at the box office, um, set all sorts of red, uh, records. It's been added to the film registry at the Library of Congress, and it it is, with all intents and purposes, yeah. a cultural phenomenon. For sure. So much so, so um, our my co-host at the Mile High Podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Chris uh, Law, was wearing a fucking Goonie shirt when we recorded the other day. Oh, I mean, funny. you fucking see Goonies everywhere. Yeah. So. Uh, we've already kind of touched on what the Goonies mean to us. Um, so why do you think it's endured the test of time? Well, I, I think what it represents, especially uh, maybe I'm biased because it's our generation, but it was it was one of those first dips into innocent adventure where people could go out and they felt like they were part of something bigger. You know, I felt like, you know, you feel limitless. I watch the Goonies and you go, 
things can happen. Like, really, this can work out for great. And it, it just, I don't know, it, it, you know, I use the word often. It's, it's just, it's pure, authentic, good adventure. And, uh, and I, listen, I'll tell you a short story. So when I first watched The Goonies, I remember, I, I mean, the second I got done watching it, I called my buddies up, right, on the old rotary phone where I was attached to the wall. So for those of you listening, a rotary phone is a phone that was attached to a wall and had a dial with all the numbers. And you would have to put your finger in the hole and turn it, the dial, and then it'd go, and then go back. And then you'd have to go, click another one, and then go, and you'd have to do that. Seven to ten times, depending on the phone number. <laughs> yeah, right. And then long distance, uh, our long distance phone calls. I used to have a girlfriend. Long, weird side story. I used to have a girlfriend, and uh, long distance. She was a long distance relationship, and it was like fucking two dollars a minute. Yeah. So our conversations were like four minutes long. Hi, how you doing? Okay, good. Let's quickly let's get a, a bunch of shit out of the way and let's hang up the phone because. Overtime yeah. or uh, was it? long distance was yeah. crazy. Well, yeah, and that was two dollars a minute in back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. yeah. Now, now you bought your two dollars a minute, but it's like forty cents a minute. Then. Yeah, exactly. Yep. No, it's uh, so I picked up the rotor phone, call, call my friends, some like grab your bikes, let's go. And so where I grew up in Southern California, there was all these storm drains that you were really not supposed to go into because like every year a couple kids would die. And of course, we <laughs> thought we were smarter than that. No disrespect, but you know, so we would go through these storm drains, and then what happened is there was. All sorts of little openings. So you'd, you'd go like three miles down a storm, or, or I'm sorry, like three quarters of a mile down a storm drain, and it would open up into a spillway, which was meant for, you know, bleed out of the water so it didn't flood the streets. Well, inside there was like these caverns, and of course we would swashbuckle and we would grab things, but we would all choose characters in the Goonies, like who were we, right? And of course, the, the person that everyone wanted to be was One-Eyed Willie. Because yeah. we'd play back then, oh, I'm One-Eyed Willie, and, you know, someone would grab a patch or strap like, you know, some sappy leaf to their head, you know, whatever. But you know, the, the coolest thing is it, it, that's the kind of thing it created. And I think that's why it endures because people, most people that, that have seen this movie, you know, if, especially if they saw it during that certain period in their youth, it just represented that freedom. It was like the tagline, you know, it's what they it's what they did. I imagine it's no different than, uh, you know, maybe a generation before they, they watch uh, the Andy Griffith show and they, they see Opie going off yeah. and fishing or, you know, Lassie little rascals. Noel, or Little Rascals, right? It's just kind of the antics that they get into. And that was very iconic for that generation. Absolutely. And uh, when I'm thinking of the cast and, and the kind of movie, I don't know of any other movie that gave kids that much credit. Sure. Like, the kids, they weren't at a, or nobody like said, oh, you're just a kid. What the fuck do you know? Right. No, every kid that was involved in that movie, they believed in each other. The They wrapped the, uh, the uh, older brother, Josh Brolin, mm -hmm. and his girlfriend. They got them to come along with them. They, they weren't just saying, hey, you're just a bunch of kids. Mm -hmm. No, they, they believed in what they were talking about, and they followed sure. along. Um, even the parents didn't say, oh, he's just a kid. Um, and when you're a kid, like, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, go and storm and find a One-Eyed Willie's treasure. Um, I uh, dug for treasure um, so many times after this movie. Yes. Always hoping to find some sort of for treasure. Sure. Um, anything of a note? Uh, I found some... Uh, my parents live in Aurora, and they've lived in the same house for 38 years now, 39 years. And um, the old tale was... It was on an Indian burial ground. Sure. And we've had some couple, like, weird haunting things. Um, but I did find some sort of bones. I'm sure there was, like, you know, dog bones or right. chicken bones or something like that. But I did find a handful of bones digging through uh, 
my parents' backyard. Right. They fucking hated me though when I was digging this <laughs> right. big ass hole in the middle of their backyard. Yeah. yeah. But but it was like you know, all my friends got together and we would make adventures. Sure. And if we couldn't, you know, find an original venture to go on, we would just make something up. Sure. And it allowed you to really use your imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such a creative story, the Goonies. Um, and like I said, at that same time, you have a bunch of adventurous kind of movies. And it's getting our brains thinking, like, yo, let's think of, let's go up to space. Or let's um, go find hidden treasure. Or let's go on a road trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really inspired us to use our imaginations and to come together as friends and just have these adventures together. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love everything you're saying. And I think I think that's what, what has helped it endure for so long. Because ultimately, there's that emotional thread that it just it, it hits people in that core. In that, in that child kind of Peter Pan, I always wanted to be a kid, I just want to go to Neverland moment. You know, one of the big things is how they produced this movie, or how, you know, how uh, Richard Donner directed this movie. Multiple times, like, you've probably seen this fact, like, he didn't show the kids, the, the actors, he didn't show them the big one-eyed Willie ship. Yeah. Until that scene, so he could capture that authentic reaction. And then when their eyes light up, man, they're like, wow, we found it! And that is pure. Yeah, and absolutely. That, and so to your point about letting the kids kind of run the show, I think, you know, good for Richard Donner and, and, and Spielberg and Columbus, you know, because they honored the whole theme of the movie. Like, let, let's be honest, you could you could sterilize a, a kid's story and it feels very adult. It's just kids that are playing the part. And you can tell they're being directed through every little thing. But that movie just seeps with authenticity and just, you know, pure innocent kids doing innocent kid things. You know, I, I think he, he was known for his, he'd say, okay, big eyes, and they all get, like, big eyes, and, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but especially having kids now, like, I watch my five-year-old, or when, even my older kids, like, when we see something big, you go to Mount Rushmore, and they go, whoa, like, it just brings that all back, and I think the Goonies does that, but it does it in, like, this concentrated hour-and-a-half version, so. Definitely, and it, it's a really good point that you made about uh, the pirate ship, so, $19 million, even in 1985 money, that's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But they meticulously built a full-blown pirate ship, and it sailed. That ship at the end uh-huh. is a full-blown pirate ship that they sailed. Yeah. So, uh, hey, quick note there. Did you know that there's a little mini R2-D2 that's stored on the mast of that ship? And if you, is it really? Yeah, you wouldn't have seen it in the show. It wasn't in any of that. But if you look at some of the stock footage, which is available on the interwebs, uh, you'll see there's a little R2-D2 there. That's cool. So, yeah. yeah. And it just kind of shows... Uh, Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. and his friendship with George Lucas. Yeah. Um, you see um, R2-D2 and C-3PO mm-hmm. in Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And where else? Uh, we see E.T. in yeah. uh, The Phantom Menace. Oh, when they're in the that. When they're in the Senate um, oh, scene. Oh, yes, 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 um, yes. Yeah, you see a whole like race of E.T.s yeah, hanging funny. out there. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so I don't want to upset you when I, with this question. Oh, man. Should there be a sequel? Yeah, well, let me give you the short answer. Fuck no. Fuck no. Uh, fuck right. no. Um, no, there can't because no, you can't. Listen, I mean, for for all the listening audience out there, I'm not a huge fan of sequels anyway because uh, you know what kind of a theme in my life is authentic and pure. But and and I and I think when you if they would have made a sequel, maybe in like 1987 where you saw like them moving into high school and it still kept that same theme, maybe a two percent chance that it would have been worth watching. But at the end of the day, if they go back and make a sequel now, they, you know, Hollywood producers will call it, it's, a, it's an easy money grab. You and I talked about this on another podcast. Like, you know, they, they can put Goonies on it. They can sell $100 million in merchandise. They can capture all of that spirit and all that, you know, all, all that feeling. But at the end of the day, should they do it? If you're asking an ideological question, 
absolutely not. Because it just won't, like, it, 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 I don't know. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, do you remake Casablanca? No, you don't remake Casablanca. You teach the new generation to appreciate it. And if they go, oh, I don't like black and white, then, you know, step up your parenting game. You know, <laughs> to teach them how to really appreciate things. But at the end of the day, you can't, a remake or a sequel would do nothing but tarnish the original because it'd always be in your, it'd always be in your mind. Yeah. So, that's my feeling. So, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, if you put the, it's hard to recapture that magic. Mm -hmm. um, and everything about that movie is unadulterated magic. Um, and it would be hard to try to bottle that up, especially if you don't put the right pieces there. But I, I not as I don't really necessarily want a sequel. Mm -hmm. um, but if they did and they brought back um, some of the you know the main cast, and which is largely still alive, mm -hmm. um, and they have you know a really creative writer, they have a visionary director. I'm sure they could do a pretty decent job. But really, why would you want to try to flip that coin? Yeah. With that said, though, if they made a, a Goonie sequel, I'll be there. I'll, on as soon as tickets go on sale, I will yeah. buy the fucking ticket, <laughs> even if it yeah. does suck. So yeah. Well, but here's the thing. So so I'll uh, let me let me bring up the pathological optimist in me. So I, I you make a compelling point, right? And that is, it, it could bring up if you got the right people aligned, it could bring up. It, it might be entertaining. You know, would it be the original? No. And I think most sequels, when they try to recreate the original, that's where they go wrong, because you can't. But I think if they would donate every last dollar of profit, right? Pay everybody their due, and then every bit of profit goes into, like, some adventure program or local community thing, then I'm on board with it. Because then they're being true to the real spirit, and that is, you know, that this movie was made to inspire adventure and, and teach people that there could be hope. I mean, think about it. These guys were from the goondocks, right? That's what it comes from, the goonies. Right, so which we would know as the Boondocks, you know, or the Boonies. That's just their their characterization of that, you know. But the whole point was, you know, if you think about um, who's the who's the Troy, the asshole, his dad, right? So the jock prep that mattered, that's like super popular. His dad's actually the banker that's trying to foreclose on everybody. Like, there's a real rich story of power struggle and class struggle within that whole thing. So while you have this adventure, you definitely have a commentary on society. And I think the sad part is if they wanted to make a true-to-life sequel, some of the Goonies will turn into bankers. Oh, and that would sure. break my heart. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, want, I want to listen to them. You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, think of an animal that's really cute when it's when it's young, but then it grows up and you're like, holy shit. Like, yeah. a, 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 you know, baby turkey? Super cute. An adult turkey? Disgusting. That's why we eat them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we eat them because they're ugly. I think oh, we okay. eat them because okay. they're delicious. I must have saw the wrong documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, I bet you Chunk turned into a power broker. Oh, you know, it's funny. You might even have your facts right. Yeah. Uh, what's he doing now? He's a corporate or a Hollywood lawyer. Yeah. And he's <laughs> slimmed down quite a bit. Yeah. Yes, he did. No uh, more trouble shovel. No more. Fuck, dude. Yeah. So uh, I grew up oh. the fat kid, man. Yep. <laughs> no, I have been asked to do yes. the trouble shuffle for the last 30 fucking years, man. Yeah. And today I'll just voluntarily do the trouble shuffle if I feel up to it or I'm high <laughs> enough. But... Going through life as the fat kid, yeah. I got asked to do the trouble shuffle yeah. so many fucking times. Yeah, I purposely did. I, I I know your struggle, man, and I purposely never wore a Hawaiian shirt. My dad tried to give me a Hawaiian shirt one time. I was like, fuck no, because <laughs> that is immediately going to sense in someone else's brain. They're going to be like, oh, Hawaiian shirt, chubby kid, do the trouble shuffle. No, I jumped gates because of that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, one thing that I I went back and I watched you know a good portion of it before in um, researching for the show. Mm -hmm. um, there's some pretty 
decent innuendos. There's some sexual innuendos yeah. going on there um, that I didn't really catch when I was, you know, obviously eight years old. Sure. You know, like the, you know, touching the statue's dick uh -huh. and yeah. um, uh, making out, Mikey making out with the girl and right. feeling her and up. I mean, like, there's a little bit of innuendo there. Which I have come to appreciate. Sure. Um, but there's a there is a lot of different levels to this movie. It's not just the adventure story, but like you said, there's the the money, the story about money and power. Mm -hmm. um, also, a little bit with the the Spanish. Um, oh, well, Spanish sure, right. speaking uh, <laughs> house takers, housekeeper. <laughs> that was so funny though. Yeah, guilty, guilty funny, but super funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, that's why I actually learned Spanish. Yeah, tell yeah. me about that. No, no, I'm just joking, man. No. I, I just want to make sure no housekeepers were ever taken advantage of in my life again. Yeah, <laughs> if they were Spanish speaking. That's funny though. Like, that whole <laughs> part with her is is really funny. Um, but it, you know, a little bit of a, a commentary on race at the sure. moment. Sure. You know, um, I mean, a lot of different levels. I think just uh, seeing it now with my perspective, I have a newfound appreciation for just how clever Christopher Columbus's writing is. Right. Um, and uh, Richard Donner, uh, one of his earlier movies, uh, you can see his influence on in, the Goonies in Die Hard. Oh, for um, sure. You can see Christopher Columbus's, or the Goonies, um, fingerprints all over Home Alone, mm -hmm. Christopher Columbus, and... Uh, I mean, even today, like when you are making a kid's story or you're coming up with a kid's book or if you're coming up with any kind of adventure type of story, it's going to have some sort of say with the Goonies. It's going to have some sort of influence mm -hmm. by the Goonies. Absolutely. Well, I, listen, I think, you know, they cut the Goonies motto out of the, out of the original movie, but they catch one part of it. And that's when Mikey's at the bottom of the well. And he talks about taking a chance and his dreams. I mean, that that is inspirational and applicable in every part of anyone's life. If you ever aspire to do anything or overcome any kind of odd, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. As a kid, I watched it and I'm like, oh, yeah, the rah, rah, rah. Now I cry. <laughs> now I'm like, I get you, brother. That's what it's all about. And uh, and I'm telling you, like, especially I, and that was the one piece that I really clued on because I was kind of doing an integrity test with my kids. When we watched it, I said, what you guys think? What was your favorite part? Was this and that? And they didn't choose that part, of course. But I was like, what would you guys think about that well part? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, it means so much. Like, that is a timeless human moment. So, anyway. so would you consider The Goonies a perfect movie? Oh, man, I listen, I you know, it's perfect for what it is. How's that? I mean, like, if you ask, here, here's one thing. I think the, one of the common questions over time is, should they have included the octopus scene in the original? You know, for those of you that are going to go out and watch it, or if you haven't seen any of the outtakes, uh, there was a big octopus scene, I'm sure you know this, but, uh, you know, where they were supposed to, when they were swimming from the ship, getting away from the Fricellis, and they were going to, you know, go to safety, there's an octopus that was going to hold them up. Them cutting that out of the scene was pure genius, because I think that would immediately distract from the purity of the whole movie, because it now makes it like this Indiana Jones-level adventure where it's like almost sci-fi-ish, whatever, 20,000 leagues. But because they cut that out, but then gave, put out that footage in a special edition, you already have an, an adoration and appreciation for everybody. And then they go through that, and you're like, oh, that's super yeah, cool. Goofy, Glad it wasn't yeah. in the movie. But it, it would have totally distracted. And the ending would have been, in my opinion, less impactful had they put that in there. For sure. And it also would have made it a little bit more unbelievable. For sure. As as you watch the story, you can envision yourself as Mikey, as Chung, yep. as Mouth. Um, you can you're a part of that movie with them. Yep. But if they put the octopus in, 
um, it kind of takes a lot of that unbelievably or believability out of the movie. Right. And I don't think it would have stuck the landing as much as it did. I agree. I agree. Great yeah. way to put it. So um, we're uh, going to wrap up here in just a second. But, you know, what is your favorite scene of the movie? Oh, man. I, uh, gosh, that that's, that's, here's, here's the thing. This may be, when they find Chester Copperpile, it is such a pure moment. I, you, clearly, I love this word. But, it, I mean, it really, because that's where all the action starts, right? So they're messing around. They don't notice the boulders that are hanging there. All of a sudden, the boulders go down. Mikey's running. He lands on the skeleton, and the whole movie kicks off. Like, the, like I've always said this. My wife and I have shared this commentary. So there, there's always a movie, like, you know, if you put on a movie, but there's always a point you go, and you start the movie, because that's where, like, all of it really gets going. And it's just, if you, if you had to watch an abridged version... That's where the Goonies really starts for me because that's where the adventure takes off. It's where everything, the stakes are higher. Um, not to say that there's not great exposition. It's a funny documentary. Though I think the Fratelli stuff is is incredibly underappreciated. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the, their comic, you know, their their comic uh, addition to that movie is because they're the villains. You don't actually pick up on a lot of that stuff. But but again, I, my favorite part, the answer to your question, is is strictly. When, uh, when they find Chester Copperpot and they realize that that baseball card is from 1922, the movie kicks off, and man, it's like it's like the moment where you get on the water slide and you let go. Uh, and so I'm glad you brought the Fratellis. Uh, very underappreciated part of the movie, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have the same kind of movie without those three uh, villains in that movie. And Anne Ramsey, who mm-hmm. played Ma Fratelli, who has been fucking amazing in every movie she was in, uh, died shortly uh, after the movie was made, I think maybe a couple years after. Mm-hmm. Um, she was great. She, as the, the matriarch of this crime family, was great. She had, like, tough love. Yeah. She still loved her kids, but she would tell them that they're fucking idiots to their face. <laughs> right. Um, Ch- um, Sloth. Yeah. We didn't fucking even talk about Sloth. Oh, yeah. I mean, him and uh, Chunk's relationship... Yeah. Is genuine, right. and that you can apply that relationship to anybody who has maybe a special needs mm. friend or brother, uh, sibling, cousin. Uh, just chunk love sloth, yeah. not because he's big and weird, but he just un, un, just loves sloth because no he was and he was good at heart. Yeah, and that just that part just like just said like, hey, it doesn't matter what you look like; it's what's inside that really yeah. matters. Um, but then, uh, the Fratellis, they were, they're great, they, and they were funny. They yeah. were legitimately funny parts of the movie. Definitely underappreciated, because everybody always just goes to the kids. Right. But I don't think the movie would have been the same if we didn't have the Fratellis sure. on their, on their heels. Absolutely, yeah, they were, they, they were the moving vehicle for the, for the movie. And, and truthfully, Mama Fratelli, she's the kingpin, right? Absolutely, she's, she's the kingpin, the, that's a great you know, way to put she, it. She's the way that he kind of ties it together and has this weird kind of grudge against, She's if she represents evil, Mikey's, you know, good, and uh, there you have, it's a battle of good and evil. You there know? you go. I mean, hell, you can take it on so many levels. Uh, so my favorite scene, uh-huh. I love this fucking scene, um, when the Fratellis find Chunk trying to <laughs> escape, and they're like, yeah. they're... They stick the tomato in the blender, <laughs> and they, like, just tell me everything. And he's like, you know, tell him about, he uh, he started throwing up, and then everybody <laughs> else started throwing up. And one time, he stole the, these cookies, and, I mean, he was just, every, he's making up all this shit. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's a kid about to die, so he is confessing everything in his life. So fucking yeah. hilarious. I absolutely love that part. Um, and 
being the fat kid, they don't really make fun of him being a fat kid. I mean, he does the, the shuffle shuffle, right. but they're not like, hey, fat ass. Right. Uh, when Data, you know, he's uh-huh. the, the Asian character, they're not like, oh, look at this fucking Asian kid. He's just, they're friends. Yeah. They're part exactly. of the group and they're all friends. Yeah. Um, and as the fat kid in every fucking friend group I've ever been in, um, I appreciate that. Uh, right. So it's not always like that. Yeah. Every, we, everybody had their role and everyone was respected for it. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody was equal. I, You know, Sean Astin, of course, was the leader, even when his brother um, joined on Sean Astin, was still the leader of the, the group. But um, everybody was equally picked on and equally adored by each other. So Great way to put it, man. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's, that's it, man. what makes it so time enduring because it's so accessible on so many different levels. Yeah, and you know, you know 80s are huge now, man. Yeah. 80, I think even before Stranger Things came out, Stranger Things really solidified the the reemergence of 80s generations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Goonies is timeless because the story is timeless. Um, it doesn't look dated. Doesn't feel dated. Right. The uh, the dialogue doesn't feel dated. No, not at all. Um, so that endures because. You can put that in 2020 mm-hmm. or 2010, 1990, and it, it's still, that story endures. But as a kid from the 80s, yeah, I really love the fact that 80s are so popular now. Heck yeah. Uh, I remember uh, I the first time I really felt old. So here in Denver, we have, uh, uh, what is it, uh, 105, Cool 105. Yeah. It's the oldie station. <laughs> right. When they started playing Depeche Mode and U2 uh-huh. on Cool 105, it was like, that's fucking it's, music from my youth, and now that's considered an oldie. Yeah. Uh, that made me feel old for the first time. Yeah, you got to break out your Cardi B now. <laughs> my Cardi B? Your Cardi B. No, that's out. Heather. Yeah. <laughs> my, nice. my wife is a great, she's like a next level rapper. She can fucking <laughs> rap with Lizzo and Cardi B, Macklemore, Jay-Z. I mean, she has some natural rapping skills. So there there's a go. plug for, that, that, well, and, and, sorry, there, there's a plug for that. There's also, we got to get her on the show rapping. Oh, she'll yeah. never do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but she does have a, uh, a video blog coming soon. Um, she's going to be baking online and uh, doing a little awesome. baking show. Yeah, Very we're cool. all. My son is doing a podcast, yeah. a kid center podcast. He was uh, a guest on my Mile High podcast reviews last night when we uh, reviewed the latest Star Wars movie. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we're getting the whole family included. Right on, man. And we're kind of in this part of our lives where it's like. Why not? We've, yep. we've lived our life a certain way, like, saying, why? Yeah. But now we're in the, the why not, so we're just kind of moving forward with that. And it's awesome, man. Yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah, so now we have a podcast. Uh, you and I, you know, we, yep. we love talking, for sure. <laughs> Without a doubt. And the fact that we're going to wrap this show up under an hour yeah. is pretty amazing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I could go on for days, and I know yeah. you could, too. I could, too. I, but I think centering it around a, a, one specific topic, I think we are we kept it tight. Yep. We kept it, we kept it interesting and fun. Um, I think if we just started rambling on, like, uh, <laughs> our drunken conversations of years past, <laughs> right. people would lose interest, and they would have right. no idea how to connect the dots. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, so that is our first edition of the uh, Dive Bar. Um, I just want to you know, plug a couple of my shows. So if you're listening to the Dive Bar, but you're not quite sure who the fuck I am, um, I co-host a podcast called the Mile High Podcast. Um, I also do a review show called the Mile High Podcast Reviews, which is a super creative title. Uh, we just review a bunch of shit. So um, like I said, my son and I reviewed Star Wars. Um, have you seen, do you watch many movies? I know you're traveling a lot. Yeah, no, I, I watch, I watch a lot of movies, but 
you know. Uh, well, theater. Do you go theater much? Uh, last one we saw was Frozen 2. Frozen 2? Yeah. How was that? It was phenomenal. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely one of the best movies I've seen in the last 10 years. And I'm not being facetious. It really was that good. Well, James, uh, who is huge into yeah. Disney, yeah. he loved Frozen. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Uh, one of the, the best movies that, and I definitely recommend you because you're a more intellectual person, um, Knives Out. Yep. By Ryan so Johnson. I'm going to see that. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It is a great movie. Yeah. Um, Daniel Craig is spectacular. Right. He's uh, Bond. He is Bond. Yeah. He's my well, favorite. At least for one more. Bond, by the way. He's yeah. one more Bond. I know. 2020. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I have the review show. Uh, we have the Nerd Corner with uh, Chris Law, who's. Uh, he also has a Twitch channel. Uh, James is doing a Disney Afternoons cartoon um, watch along show so he'll go through oh, and boy. watch like tailspin and darkwing duck <laughs> yes. and then he'll um talk about that so we have a bunch of shit our new season of model High podcast starts on january 17th with special guest anthony tony p uh two weeks later the day before my birthday uh we have hi harry potter trivia with my friend corny from <laughs> uh she's a bud tender in denver as well as a graduate of the second city academy in chicago right on yeah so we have a bunch of really exciting stuff we have our new studio um we filmed our last show and it's going to go up on youtube once chris is done uh putting it all together um so we have a bunch of shit going on we have a new production company called trucky pacific productions okay so the dive bar is actually produced by trucky pacific productions i love it right yeah on. so we have a bunch of shit going on so um that's it uh, if you want to reach us please go to the dive bar podcast at gmail.com and that's it. Right yeah. On. Good time, right. Dave. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And you know, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, the shows will be longer for sure down the road, but uh, this was good. I love the Goonies. Right on. All right. Goonies forever. Goonies never say Goonies die. Goonies never say die. There it is. The Dive Bar is a Truckee Pacific production. For comments or sponsorship inquiries, go to thedivebarpodcast at gmail.com.